Warning. This is a horror podcast and unsettling by design. If certain topics may present a harmful trigger for you, we urge you to check the show notes before proceeding. Hello, friends, and welcome to Dead North. I'm Sean Dillon, your host. I and my colleagues at Oncoming Productions created this podcast because there is a vastly underutilized resource here in our home city of Minneapolis. And no, it isn't snow or lakes or even passive aggression, though we certainly have plenty of all of those things. The Twin Cities is host to an absolutely ridiculous number of theater artists working in and around the genre of horror. In fact, Minneapolis is host to the oldest and longest-running horror theater festival in the world, the Twin Cities Horror Festival. Up until now, this glut of hair-raising talent has been one of our city's better-kept secrets. We'd like to change that. So, what is Dead North? Well, think of it as a darkened little theater for your ears. Each episode will feature original performances by stage horror makers crafted specifically for audio. The style and content will vary widely, from storytelling to poetry, from traditional radio plays to faux-found footage to the downright unclassifiable. And each episode will be loosely arranged around a theme. For this episode, we chose the theme of spring. As I record this, temperatures here in Minnesota are starting to creep above the freezing line, and the snow that has blanketed our city for months is beginning to recede, revealing everything that was hidden underneath. And soon, things long buried in the dirt will come to life and push their way back into the light. Spring is fertile ground for horror. (laughs) Our first piece today is Shanty by Paper Soul. It is set right at the cusp between winter and spring when the ice starts to thin and crack. And it was inspired by a murder ballad dating back centuries but with a distinctly Minnesota twist. I wouldn't want to give much more away, so here, without further preamble, is Shanty. Shanty by Paper Soul Written by J. Merrill Motes Performed by Susie Jewell were two sisters in a faraway north, and all of it was cold. Though one was dark and one was fair, their souls were bound as one and the same and inseparable as the wind from the snow, for, as you already know, all of it was cold. Their names each were Bonnie and Jean, and together they were the Sisters Swan, only children of Judge and Dr. Swan, old money from St. Paul living in the shadow of Old Cathedral Hill where all the light was cold. Sister Bonnie was younger, fiery and quick. Sister Jean was elder, clever and strong, and they swore nothing would ever come between them, even when all of it was cold. They would always be there for each other, just like when they ran the 400 relay, and Jean would be waiting, her arms outstretched, for Bonnie to yell, Stick! and pass the baton all long and metal and cold. And as they grew up together, 
side by side. They swore, whatever the world had in store, side by side, they would stand against it together, even when all of it was cold. And then there was Tommy. Tommy. And Tommy worked at their favorite bar, and Tommy was always there, quick with a joke or a light of their smoke, as the old song goes. But there was nowhere that he'd rather be. Because when the three of them were together, they found that none of it was cold. And soon, they didn't even need the bar. The two had become three. And now, side by side by side, they three together could fend off the cold. And one day, when Jean could not join them, because work called, always work, and the presentation needed another pass before the big meeting, so Bonnie told Jean, Oh, sister, oh, sister, you have nothing to fear. Tommy will understand. I'll go alone, and we two will think of us three, just as you one will think in spirit of all of us, side by side by side. So none of it will feel cold. So Bonnie went alone to meet Tommy, good old Tommy, but Tommy was not there, because she found Tommy waiting for her at home, on one knee, with a ring in a box, and her, yes, to him, would never be cold. And when she showed her sister the ring, for the first time in her life, suddenly, everything felt cold. She was worried, of course, that her sister may finally let in the cold, until Jean woke her the next day, saying, Oh, sister, oh, sister, let's the two of us drive to the family shanty on the ice before the thaw. Dad said he's going to sell this year, and we might never get this chance again. No, you don't need to take your car. Let's ride together, just you and I, and sing Backstreet Boys like we used to do, or 98 Degrees if the CD skips again, and roll the windows down to be as loud as we want, even though all of it was cold. And the younger agreed to the drive, and even agreed Tommy didn't need to know, because some things should just be between sisters after all, even when some of them feel cold. And the shanty was just as they remembered. Camp stools to sit upon, the space heater in the corner, old license plates all over the walls, and the ancient black and white TV that couldn't even get gopher hockey without a line through the picture. A hot plate to heat up frozen Jimmy Deans, and a cooler always full of grain belts. Premium grain belts. And all of them were cold. And in the center of the shanty was the old rug from the den with the stain from the spilled broccoli cheese soup from the days when Bonnie watched too much Gordon Ramsay and thought she didn't need a recipe. When everyone agreed she really needed a recipe. But they all ate it anyway, because what it lacked in flavor, it made up for in love, when all of it was cold. And under the rug... The whole reason it was there was the wooden trap door, old and thick like a portal. And under the door, the whole reason it was there was the ice, sturdy and thick like a foundation. And in the ice, the whole reason the shanty was there was a hole leading to the shoals of fish swimming in the icy blackness below, where all of it was cold. But the younger was confused. How can we fish? she said. Where are the poles? Oh, but the elder replied, around here somewhere. And as she opened the cooler, she said, Here, have a beer. Now, asked the younger, why not, was the reply, while all of them are cold.
and the elder held the can out for the younger to take. And Bonnie thought it looked like the relay in reverse, with the elder holding the baton out for the younger to take instead of slapping it in her waiting hand. But this relay wasn't moving. The elder stayed in place, so the younger had to step on the rug. But it would be fine. The door was between the rug and the ice, and the ice was between the door and the hole. Come on, said her sister with a grin. Stick! And Bonnie laughed, knowing she had nothing to fear. And she stepped, her last step, onto the rug, where there was no door. And through the ice she fell, through the hole, into the icy depths below, where all of it was cold. Oh, sister! Oh, sister! she cried. Please hold out your hand. Help me out of this ice. I can feel it weighing me down, and all of it is becoming cold. But she looked to her sister and didn't recognize who looked back at her down through the hole in the ice under the open door where the rug used to lie to keep anyone from falling, where all of it was cold. Oh, sister! Oh, sister! the younger cried. Please, I can feel nothing left. Show mercy on me. I am your little sister. Remember who we are and save me from all the cold. But the elder looked into her heart, and she found no mercy there, because all of it was cold. Oh, sister, oh, sister, the younger cried. Just hold out your glove, and I swear I'll give you Tommy and all of his love. Anything, anything, it's yours. Just save me from all this cold. But the elder looked into her heart, and she could not find it. It had become like stone. Stone, because all of it was cold. And the last thing the younger saw was her sister, no longer at her side, lifting the heavy wooden door and slamming it shut, high above her, the clicking of the heavy metal deadbolt locking and darkness darkness, and all of it was cold. And the sister hated her sister because now, forever, they would be remembered as killer and killed, and not as elder, who held the younger's hand when she was scared on the walk home from school, and sing Backstreet Boys like they used to do, or 98 Degrees, if the CD skips again. No one would remember the dance recitals or the 400 relays. No one would remember the shared leads in White Christmas for the high school drama club. Or when elder sister encouraged younger to take off her training wheels early and even hugged her tight and wiped her face when she fell minutes later. No. Now it's only one leaving the other down where all of it was cold. For the dumbest of reasons for a man, for what they swore would never come between them. And the last thing she thought was that old song, that old cliché of one sister killing the other over the love of the man, and the killed sister washing ashore as a beautiful swan found by the miller's daughter, and her body made into a harp that sang at the killing sister's wedding to the man they were jealous over relaying the tale of how her sister pushed her in the river 
or the lake, or the ocean, or the sea. Oh, which was it? I can't remember anymore. I can't remember. It's so dark now. And all of it... So cold. This has been Shanty by Paper Soul. Written by Jan Merrill Boats. Performed by Susie Jewell. Intro music by Gabriel Douglas from Pixabay. Outro music by Churly Kachurly from the Free Music Archive. Shanty was originally produced in April 2019 as part of Freshwater Theater's Blood Runs Cold. Performed by Ariel Pinkerton. Special thanks to Samantha Starr of Mermaid Music and to Ariel Pinkerton. Ah, nothing like a little Sorora side to kick things off. What I especially love here is the juxtaposition of tone and content. The fairy tale quality, standing in stark contrast to references to boy bands and cooking shows. The familiar is rendered strange and mythical, and that's where the horror lives for me. The cheap and sordid awfulness of Jean's actions submerged for herself and for us in the romance of story. Truly chilling. You can keep an eye out for future performances by Paper Soul at papersoul.org. As the seasons change and the days grow longer, sleep schedules can get a little off. To help with that, we have A Cure for Sleep by Dangerous Productions. I'm sure that'll turn out great. The Cure for Sleep by Dangerous Productions. You have entered the zone. Inhale. There, you're ready to improve your life, work, and health. These days, every second counts. This podcast is designed to get you to sleep faster so you don't waste one more second. Hi, welcome to The Zone. I'm your host, Travis. Joining me is Wendy. Hi. Thanks for being here. (laughs) We're here to help you improve your health. Your memory. Your productivity. Your life. Last week, our focus was on intrusive thoughts and how to... Make... Mental lemonade. Right. Or put another way, learn to forgive yourself. Before we go any further, let me just mention that tonight's episode has a new sponsor, Somniscient. A revolutionary new approach to getting more out of your day. Somniscient. More done with less. Travis. So it's been a couple weeks. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying this 
this new thing. Cool. Yeah. Welcome to the zone. For those who aren't familiar with our podcast. What? Travis here. I wanted to start with a, a story about a dream I had last night. Oh? I was in, uh, have you seen though? They're like pigs, but they're big. Grr. You mean? It's a pig, but you wouldn't call it a pig if you saw it. Does it look like a pig? Yeah, I mean, it's a pig. It's just... Not. You wouldn't call it that. I was in a hole in the ground in the forest. That... It was raining. In the hole. The whole forest. All you could hear was rain. Heavy. Hmm. Not more. Heavy. Hmm. Kind of. I'm in this hole, and this rain is pouring in, pooling around my ankles. I look down, and I don't have feet. I only have ankles. Your feet are just gone? They're there, just right below the surface. I'm watching it rise up. My, my hands are cold, and I'm naked. Hello. All of a sudden, it stops raining, and I look up, and... And? Sheer light. Can't see. Ankles deep, but still drowning. Then I realize I'm standing on my bed, covered in yesterday's dinner. We'll be right back. Hi. I'm going to ask you something, and the only person you need to answer to is yourself. After a long day, when you lay your head down at night, do you truly feel accomplished? After all, there are only so many hours in the day, we can't possibly be expected to get everything done. Now, dream of a world where we didn't have to sleep. Well, dream no more, sleepyhead, because that world is ours. Introducing Somniscient, a certified cure for sleep. You heard that right. Our labs have found a way to keep us awake and present for every moment of our lives. By eliminating your brain's chemical dependence on those unproductive hours, Somniscient has been shown to effectively cure sleep for 7 out of 10 people. I was an absolute slave to my sleep schedule, especially as a truck driver. I felt like I was not only bad at my job, but on some of those long hauls, I was downright dangerous. With Somniscient... I feel like I can drive this truck clear across the world and not even blink. Now, if we could just find a way to freeze the ocean. (laughs) Thanks, Omniscient. As for myself, I've been using Somniscient for three months and my work-life balance is finally that. Balanced. So get out of bed and start living life. Somniscient. More done with less. 
And we're back. Back. Yep. In the zone. Oh, one second. Uh, Wendy, let me check levels. Okay. Hold. Okay, we are God now. Wendy. Sorry, I just... Deep breath. Inhale. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Wendy? Yeah. Tell us how you... My dream? Yeah, sure. I remember it was just after I got back from my paper route. Being a podcast guest doesn't pay the bills? (laughs) Funny. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So I was sort of wired, but still exhausted. I ended up laying on my bed, staring at the ceiling, unable to just stop thinking then I heard you me yeah plain as day you said hey Wendy crazy cause you know we don't (laughs) live I leaned my head forward and you were there on all fours. Porcine. White eyes. Porcelain. No lips. Dripping. Immovable. I couldn't move. I couldn't even close my eyes. They felt like they were being held open. I felt your breath on my mouth. I couldn't move, couldn't look away, couldn't scream. Then I was in my car, the owner of the last house on my route, knocking on my car window, asking what I was doing. I handed them their paper, then made it home. Kubrickian. Well, now would be a good time. As a mother, it is a constant struggle to keep an eye on my four kids, husband, and work reports while also having to squeeze in eight tedious hours of sleep every night. After using Somniscient, I can finally enjoy having a family while never missing a day of work. I've also lost 35 pounds. Like my mother said, don't look a prize pig in her snout. Megan! You no doubt have heard that Somniscient has become the most prescribed medication for those suffering from sleep. Somniscient has been the answer to one of nature's greatest mistakes. And just like how humans have conquered the sky, we have conquered sleep itself. You can finally write that novel, learn a new language, earn some more money, or spend quality time with your family. 
all without wanting a single wink of sleep. You don't want that? Think of the possibilities. Not only do you have more time with your kids and spouse, but now you can finally pay attention to your boss without dozing off due to lack of sleep because you will no longer want to sleep. Bye-bye coffee, energy drinks, almonds, cardio, serotonin, and unapproved hard drugs, and say hello to one easy-to-swallow, FDA-approved, somniscient twice a day. Get rid of your full-time, non-paying night gig and embrace the future. Soon, no one will be sleeping. Somniscient is now covered under all insurance plans, so ask your employer if Somniscient is right for your workplace. Somniscient, more done with less. Travis. Travis. Why are you here, Wendy? Well, technically, I'm not. Not physically. Who invited you? No one. What are you talking about? Hilarious. Uh, You dreamt about me? Half my dreams are about you. (laughs) What is with you? Bored. That's the point. That's the pig. Bored. Time to wrap up. My guest has been Wendy. Your guest? Got anything to plug? Just this show, which I, I started. You ever want something so bad, then you have it, and... Travis? Gotta pay taxes on a billion dollars. Stay with one person the rest of your life. Married. Take care of dog. Uh, our sponsor today has been... Hell is for eternity, but so is heaven. Somniscient. Great stuff, by the way. Discount code PIG at your local drugstore. With a prescription, of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was saying... I still want a dog and a billion dollars. I don't know where this is going. We'll probably cut this out anyway. I don't sleep anymore. I can tell. You were right though. Podcasting doesn't pay the bills. Neither does temping, construction, or selling plasma. (laughs) All four? Okay, you can wrap up. I just realized I have to get to my next shift. Try it. Uh, Travis, we're going to talk about this later, but you're not yourself right now. Uh, You make me feel like... Growing up, my friends, we'd stay overnight at each other's homes. Try not to fall asleep. Stay awake the longest, get valued the most, get followed. Fall asleep first. (laughs) Or worse. Travis, are you on some... Stay a while. Like that. All night. Graveyard, red-eye flights, paper, routes. You're no good to anyone if you're asleep. Travis? 
Stop touching your eyes. Don't sleep, make money. Don't sleep, make money. Don't sleep, make money. Don't sleep, make money. Don't mm. I'm calling a doctor. They already know. Pig scribed it. Ow! Stop! You're hurting yourself! I'm not! They come out so easy, see? <gasps> see? Travis. Wendy! Wakey! Travis, Travis, stop! No, 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 no! Put that down! Never got impairment some salt. The impairment of personality functioning and the individual's perfect expressions are relatively stable across the The impairment of personality functioning. Your doctor is is right for you. Oh, fuck, I did, I did, I did it. Sorry. Oh, here. Jesus, did you throw up? What? Oh, I... Guess I did. I'm on a new medication. Either way, you can't keep sleeping in front of my house. Do it again and I'll call the cops. I won't. I, I swear, I won't. Sleep? Within the horror theater community, Dangerous Productions has a well-earned reputation for stomach-churning gore. I'm delighted they managed to work that into this sound-only project. More generally, what a wonderful use of the medium. They did so much here that would not work in any other format, capitalizing on what recorded audio has to offer to create something truly nightmarish. <laughs> Keep an eye out for their future work at DangerousProductions.org. Next up on the docket, we have Spring Cleaning by Big Fun Radio Funtime. The spring connection here is pretty explicit, so I won't belabor it. Uh, and as their name suggests, audio is this group's native medium. Here they bring us a piece inspired by a little bit of Charles Dickens, a little bit of Irish folklore, and by a wish that dust bunnies were just a little bit more interesting. Spring Cleaning, presented by Big Fun Radio Funtime. Good morning, Mrs. Thimblepot, and how are you this morning? I'd be better if you got in here earlier. 
Family's barely getting a lick of sleep and I'm at my wit's end. My apologies, Mrs. Thimblepot. Spring is a busy time for gentlemen in my profession and I got here as quick as I could. It's all right, dear. I'm just a bit frazzled, seeing as the house is just crawling with them. Come in and I'll show you what we got. Lovely home you have here, Mrs. Thimblepot. Much obliged. Henry and the five boys work 12 hours at the mill every day, but it's worth it so we can barely afford this place. When little Peter turns five, he'll go to work and maybe we can get ahead. That's the dream, ain't it, Mrs. Thimblepot? Indeed it is, Mr. Yordbard. Indeed it is. Let me ask you, though, why is my house filled with these things this year? Most years I don't get any at all. It's hard to say. This last winter was particularly cold, and that drives more of them inside, to be sure. I hate to say it, but a lot of it just comes down to bad luck. Is there a way to keep them from getting inside in the first place? I like to say that if you can let in a draft, you can let in a ghost. When I'm done dealing with the problem, we can take a look at where the ghosts can find their way in and see what we can do about reducing the chances they'll come back next year. Come back? Don't you exterminate them or something? Well, they're ghosts, aren't they? You can't kill them. They're already dead. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I just don't like the idea of them coming back. <laughs> Especially the one in the cellar. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a banshee, it does. That's what I was thinking. Although, I thought they lived in Ireland. They do, usually, yeah. But they migrate south to the Mediterranean for the winter. You probably have a young one got separated from the rest of the flock and decided to take up in your cellar because it felt safe there, poor thing. Probably more scared of you than you are of it. I ain't scared of it. All she does is scream every now and again. If she does it in the middle of the day, it ain't so bad. But at night, it can wake the family up. You ain't scared that every time she screams, she's heralding the death of a family member? Well, take my family, is it? It's a shame there's all those people in Ireland ain't being warned of the imminent death of a loved one. But for us, it's just a bother. Don't you worry none, Mrs. Thimblepot. I got me a banshee trap that should lure her right in. Then I'll just release her when the rest of the banshees stop in Hyde Park during the spring migration. Oh, they stop in Hyde Park, do they? Indeed they do. Same day every year. you got to get there early if you want a good chance to see it, though. The park fills up with ghost watchers just trying to add a banshee to their life list. That sounds lovely. But I can do a spot of ghost watching right from me larder. Could you take a look? Of course. Let's give it a once over. Well, here it is. Oh my. Yeah, she's just been walking round in there. Gets in me way when I'm trying to reach the potatoes. She probably can't even see you. On account of having no head, yeah. I have to tell you, Mrs. Simblepot, this, this is very exciting. Very exciting indeed. Do you know who you have here? No idea. Why, it's the ghost of Anne Boleyn. Who's that? The beheaded wife of King Henry VIII. Well, one of them. What, Victoria ain't queen no more? Yeah, she is. Then who's this Henry fellow? He was king back a few hundred years ago. Had a lot of wives. You never heard of him? What do I care about dead kings? I got seven children and a house to tend to. Don't make no matter to me who's king or queen. Fair enough, Mrs. Thimblepot, fair enough. So, just for some history, Henry VIII had a lot of wives. Not all the same time, mind you. He was a good Christian. Of course he was. 
God rest his soul. So when he didn't want to be married to one of them, he'd get rid of them somehow. There's a way to remember it. It uh, doesn't matter, really. Point is, he beheaded the one in your larder so he could marry someone else. That don't sound very Christian. Christianity is different if you're rich. Ain't that the truth? <coughs> Oi! Hush up, will ya? And nobody here cares whose death you're trying to portend. That scream sure curdles the blood, though, don't it? At this point, I'm used to me blood being curdled. It's not as bad as a name would make you think, is it? First time, it's a bit unexpected, if I'm honest. But after a dozen or so curdling of the blood, ain't no more of a bother than a good toe curling. No, it ain't. Or an air raising, if it came to that. But anyway, about Miss Bolin, I think I can get a ghost back to the tower where she belongs, but I have to ask, where's her head? Well, I took it from her, didn't I? Why would you do that? She kept setting it down in the middle of me turnips. It ain't sanitary. Not if it were a real head. It's a ghostly head. When there's a head in the middle of your turnips, you don't stop to think about whether or not it's a ghostly head. You just move the head. That's this may be, but I'm going to need the head. Why should that matter? She walks the bloody tower with her head tucked underneath her arms, don't she? I can't bring her back without her head tucked underneath her arms. Well, if she'd kept it tucked underneath her arms, she'd still have it, wouldn't she? Anyway, I think I put it in with the ghost in the dining room. He's always surrounded by a huge pile of food. I didn't think he'd notice an head in there. Let's take a look, shall we? No, oh, he's the worst of the lot. This way. Ho, 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 Come in and know me better, man. Why, if it ain't the ghost of Christmas present. You've never seen the likes of me. I've seen the likes of you every day since Christmas. You have? Yeah, I have. My mind is filled with the here and now, and the now is Christmas. Christmas was three months ago, you loony. Come in and know me better, man. Yeah, I can see how that would get tiring. We've been having the same conversation every dinner time ever since he showed up on December 24th. He says his life is only 24 hours long, but he never remembers how many hours he's been alive to begin with. All this food surrounding him must be nice, though. I ain't saying there aren't benefits. You've never seen the likes of me! <laughs> but at this point, I'm done. Yeah, all right, this one's a bit tricky. Fortunately, I have my ghost to Christmas yet to come costume here. Let me just put this on and... What you pointing at? Shh, nothing. Then why are you pointing? That's what the ghost of Christmas yet to come does. Now, shh, I ain't supposed to talk. My time on this earth is short, only 24 hours. I leave you in the company of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. <laughs> Crikey, you're telling me it was that easy? It's me job, Miss Thimblepot, but don't make it easy. Oh, and here's Mrs. Bolin said. We'll just get this tucked back underneath her arm and then I'll get her back to the tower. Don't you think of giving her that head back until you're ready to leave with her. I wouldn't dream of such a thing. Now, have you got anything else you need me to take care of? Just one more thing. It's me daughter Regan. Oh, bollocks. You named your daughter Regan? Yeah, it's a beautiful name. What's wrong with it? Your mother sucks cocks in hell! Nothing, Mrs. Simplepot, nothing. It, it is a beautiful name. Let me just pop out of me carriage for a moment and grab a cross and some holy water.
Oh, right, and a banshee trap. Sounds lovely. I'll put on some tea. I'd be most obliged to you. It's no bother at all. And do be careful when you get up there. The floor's quite slippery due to all the vomit. I'll grab me wellies as well. Back in a tick. Spring cleaning was performed by Charles Hubble, Lolly Foy, Tim Wick, and Jenny Young. Written and produced by Tim Wick. Presented by Big Fun Radio Fun Time. One of the real joys about horror is just what a big tent it really is, and how hard it can be to define. Encompassing everything from The Shining at one end to Scooby-Doo at the other. And I'm an absolute believer in the vital relationship between horror and comedy. This was a very fine example of exactly that. Big fun indeed. Thanks, folks. This brings us to our penultimate piece, Bloom, by Rob Ward. Rob is a company member of Oncoming Productions and our self-described resident psychopath. (laughs) I would quibble with that, but there's no question he has an often pitch-black sense of humor. Asked the inspiration for this piece, he shared the following. My grandmother told me a story about a friend of hers who had these diet pills. One day in the 1960s, this friend was over at my grandmother's house and left her pills on the windowsill. It was summer, and the sun melted the pills and revealed to her what made them so effective. Those pills my grandmother's friend had contained eggs. The hot sun caused those eggs to hatch into tapeworms. Now, tapeworms are disgusting little things. I wanted to explore the idea of a beautiful parasite. Unquote. As I may suggest, there is some body horror coming, so if that's not your thing, you may want to skip ahead a little bit. Still with us? Here goes. Bloom by Rob Ward If you're hearing this, please do not go into the downstairs bathroom. I don't want to hurt anyone else. You're probably listening to this and thinking I'm hysterical, but you need to listen to me. Whoever finds this, I might not be alive after I record this. Let me start at the beginning. About 11 years ago, I, not even a month after I lost my Andrew, I, I was out mowing the lawn. Drew was always the one to mow the lawn, but after he passed, it was my responsibility to take care of it. Then I noticed how much space was back there. Drew, he was a vibrant man, full of energy, and the yard at the time was nothing of the sort. When your husband's dying of emphysema, you don't really care about the state of your backyard. I decided to do something about it. I ended up doing a lot of gardening. I started small, tulips, whatnot, then hyacinths, hostas, then the rose bush. Eventually, I, I got into orchids. Um, I was good at it. I showed a few orchids at the state fair back in uh, 2013 and 2015. It was nice. I was able to see something I cared for, thrive, grow. It was a sanctuary. I I couldn't tell you how many times I thought I was 
going to spend five minutes watering and ended up staying out till dark. And then that first winter hit, though. It was rough. I tried to occupy my time by preparing for next year's garden and went online to see what sort of seed were available, but fell down a rabbit hole after I, I saw there were some groups online for people like me. During the winter, I spent almost as much time on those sites as I would in the garden. It was wonderful. From summer to fall, I'd be out there gardening, and then at night I'd chat with the girls about my projects. I call them the girls, even though I, I don't know them in person. They'd post their photos, I'd post mine. There's this one woman, Monica. She lived down in Florida with her husband. He was some sort of big money type, so he was always on business trips overseas. And he'll always bring back plants for his wife. Whenever Monica posted something, it was wonderful. I was so jealous of her. It would have been Drew's birthday, and I admit, I had more than one glass of wine, so I decided to message her. Monica replied, and we kind of hit it off. We'd share a few pictures back and forth and pointers. And then she asked if I had any spare irises. I had some seeds, so I figured why not. I sent them to her. She sent me some lovely chrysanthemum. It went back and forth. One day, she sent me this picture. I'd never seen anything like it. It was this bright purple flower, six petals shaped like knives. And each of them had this red streak down the petal, the inner rim, bright crimson. My jaw dropped. It was like an odd beckoning star. It was beautiful. Her husband was on a business trip in Belarus and went south into Ukraine. His group was looking for some odd animals in the woods outside of a town called uh, Pripyat. He found the flowers in this mound in the woods. So on his last day, he grabbed a few and snuck them into the country. I thought it was a bit crazy to do something like that for a flower. You could go to jail for something like that. Problem was, Monica was having trouble keeping him alive. She thought it might have been the climate. She asked me for some pointers about cold climate flowers and the humidity. Then I said it. I can come down and get it. It just sprang from my mouth. Am I really going to drive down to Florida to get this thing? I haven't really left town since my Drew passed, but something about those colors that entranced me. There was a bit of back and forth about where to stay, and, and at one point she... <laughs> Never mind. It's not important. Point is, I brought them home. One of them withered and died almost immediately. It hurt. It physically hurt to see that gorgeous thing turn from purple and red into a disgusting brown. I tried everything to keep the other one alive. But eventually it withered like the first one, and I ended up throwing it in the garden, along with the compost. And then, 
the darndest thing happened. It started to come alive. Monica never took a picture of the base of the plant, but it looked like a succulent, thick and green. Must have needed the nutrients, so I gave it a chance outside. It liked the compost, particularly after a large, hearty meal. I'm a meat and potatoes girl. Those weeks when it was mostly tea bags and vegetable peels, not so much. It was almost like we were sharing a meal together. It was about that time Hannah, my sister, moved in with me. Gallbladder surgery. She was here for a week, so most of my focus was on her. When Hannah started to feel better, we would go out and smell the flowers and enjoy how pretty they were. She loved the look of that flower. She went to sniff it. It was a lovely smell, according to her. As she stood up, I heard her yell. I asked her what was wrong, and she said that something stung her by her side. She pointed to her shirt, and there was this green stain on it. She pulled it up, and I saw some of the green had gone through the fabric and reached her skin, not far from where her gallbladder was taken out. I said to her, guy, he probably just got poked with a stick. Later, around dinner, she was complaining about her side. Her face was a bit red. I took a look at where she was stung, and it was a bit red, too. I chalked it up to allergies or dirt irritating where they did the surgery. I gave her some allergy medicine with her painkillers, just to be on the safe side. She had a headache so we both went to bed early. I woke up to this scream. 2.24 a.m., I'll never forget it. I ran to the bathroom where the scream was coming from. I saw Hannah huddled over the sink. Her hand was on her heart, and she was heaving and grunting, so I pulled her back. I thought it might have been a heart attack. Her face was turning blue, and the veins in her neck were popping. I stepped forward to help, and I felt something warm beneath my feet. It was blood. It was a thick pool of blood. She was in too much pain to answer my questions, so I sat her down on the toilet. There was a lot of blood coming from her, her nightshirt. I pulled it off, and, and there was this mass of vines with thick leaves coming from the wound, almost as long as my finger spiraling around in the blood. I nearly hit the wall. It scared me. I tried to comfort her and told her I'd get some help, and as I passed the sink, I saw more blood and vines in the basin. Hannah must have been trying to rip them out. I ran back upstairs to get the phone to call the ambulance, but before I could get to it, I heard a thud. I ran back downstairs and tried to get into the bathroom. She must have fallen in a way that blocked the door. She wasn't screaming anymore. I wasn't thinking straight. I, I screamed and yelled and I tried to break the door down. I ended up grabbing one of Drew's hammers and knocking the hinges off the door. When I finally got in, and I flipped her on her back. She was gone. I, um, I saw them grow from her side. They kept growing, spreading out, 
I couldn't look away. I couldn't move. I was frozen. I, I watched, petrified, as this thing, caked in blood, started to emerge from the wound. I thought it was some sort of bug at first. But then... It opened. I saw my sister's blood drip from those purple and yellow petals. That's when I snapped out of it. I ran upstairs to call 911, but I realized that flower was still in the garden, out in the open for anyone to touch, to be made into a vase. This was not some freak accident. I know about plants that... That thing can't be out there. Maybe I... Maybe I shouldn't have given Hannah that medication. Maybe she could have woken up earlier, or, or I could have taken her to the hospital. The least I could do is get that thing out of the garden. After I finish this recording, I'm going out there to dig that thing up and burn it. I pray that I won't be stung. I know it can go through clothes, but I hope God is with me. If he isn't, I'll be in the downstairs bathroom with my sister. Please, don't come in. God forgive me. Bloom was written by Rob Ward and performed by Natalie Ray Wass. To me, the thing that stands out here is the ways we fill the literal and metaphorical holes that grief and loss create in our lives. We take up gardening, we find new relationships, we eat, we drink. And sometimes, those things that we stuff into those empty spaces end up destroying us. And the worst part? If we had it to do again, we might just do it again. Because there may be nothing left of us, but at least we're not empty. Hmm. Lovely work here from Rob and Natalie both. Rob is currently shopping out his debut novel, Click, so keep an eye out for that. Rob's further work can be explored at robwardcreative.com and Natalie's at natalieraywass.com. I recommend checking the show notes for proper spelling there. And that brings us to our final piece. And it is a doozy. Rogues Gallery Arts brings us their original audio adaptation of W.W. Jacobs' classic horror story, The Monkey's Paw. This story is truly one of the all-time greats of the genre, right up there with the lottery and the telltale heart. Whether this is your first experience of it or your hundredth, it is a pleasure to share Rogue's Gallery Arts version. Here it is. Outside, the night was cold and wet, but in the small living room of the White's home, the curtains were closed and the fire burned brightly. Next to the fire, a father and son engaged in a game of chess. The son, Herbert, was not normally a match for his father, but on this day, Mr. White's mind was preoccupied. So preoccupied, in fact, that he placed his king into such sharp and unnecessary danger that it even brought a comment from his wife, Catherine, who had been knitting quietly by the fire. If you don't start paying closer attention, James, I think Herbert might finally win a match. Nonsense. I'm just toying with the boy. Check. 
Yes, dear. You are right. Absolute nonsense. Not so fast. See there? Now Herbert is the one in check. Mate. What? Well, I'll be. Congratulations, Herbert. Yes, well played, my boy. Thank you, Father. Mother is right, though. You do seem distracted. Is anything the matter? Your father is expecting company tonight. Really? Who is it? One of his old childhood friends. Yes, my dear old friend Bradley Morris. We were almost inseparable as schoolboys, but we haven't actually seen each other since he joined the military. Bradley shipped out when we were both probably just a little younger than you are right now, Herbert. This morning when I went into town, I ran into his mother. She informed me that Bradley had recently arrived home to settle some affairs. I couldn't resist. I insisted she extend him an invitation to join us for supper. But I should hardly think he will come tonight. Why is that? Listen to the rain? It's terrible. That's the problem with living so far out of town. You can't walk on the footpath without getting stuck in the mud, and the road immediately turns into a river. Sounds like someone has made it up the footpath. I just heard the old gate. There is someone here, Father. I can see them coming up the walk. Sergeant Major Morris! Hello, old friend. James, put on your coat. You're going to catch your death. Young Herbert watched from the window as his father rushed down the path to retrieve his old friend. The Sergeant Major was a tall, dark figure that moved with a slow and heavy step. As he appeared in the doorway, he was further revealed to be a somber and sad-looking man. Eager to learn about his friend's travels and adventures, James White found himself in dismay as their dinner passed fairly quietly. The soldier didn't express a great deal of interest in talking or really even eating. In truth, it seemed like he may have only accepted the invitation out of a customary politeness. After a third glass of whiskey, however, the sergeant major's eyes began to brighten somewhat, and during a post-dinner smoke, the conversation began to open up. My apologies to you all. You have been wonderful hosts, and I don't know that I have been great company. That is quite all right. Your mother mentioned to me that you had fallen on hard times of late. How many years has it been? since I saw you last. A little over 20, if I'm remembering correctly. 20 years of it. Unbelievable. Herbert, when I went away, your father was a thin young man. Now look at him. <laughs> your father is as handsome as he ever was. Well, that's not much of a compliment, is it? <laughs> Herbert! You should speak more kindly of your father. I'm just poking some fun, Mother. I like this boy you have here, James. He's funny. Where were you located before you came back to town? Prague, briefly. Before that, I spent some time in India. I'd like to go to India myself, just to look around a bit, you know? You're better where you are. Have you been to Paris? I have. Cairo? There, too. You must have some amazing souvenirs from all your travels. Not really. Never been much for collecting things. Bouncing from place to place, it's better to keep your belongings light. 
You mean there isn't even one special keepsake you've managed to hold on to? Yes, I suppose there is the one. Well, what is it? It's nothing. At least it's nothing that's worth hearing about. Oh, come on, old sport. You can't leave us in suspense. All right, all right, fine. Here it is. The sergeant major felt around momentarily in his pocket and pulled forth a dried, garish, and fleshy hand. He then held it out in front of them. This is a monkey's paw. Horrific! Why on earth would you have such a thing? I know to look at it, it is just an ordinary paw, but this one has a little bit of what you might call magic in it. Magic? Yes. A very holy man wanted to show that fate ruled over people's lives and that those who tried to change their fate would be sorry for it. So he cast a spell on this paw, granting three different men each three wishes from it. Three wishes, huh? Well, then why don't you have three, sir? I have. And did you really have all your wishes granted? I did. And has anybody else wished? The first man had his three wishes, yes. I don't know what the first two were. But the third was for death. That's how I got the paw. If you've had your three wishes, then it's no good to you now. Bradley, what do you keep it for? Fancy, I suppose. I did have some idea of selling it, but I don't think I will. It has caused enough trouble already. Besides, people won't buy. Most think it's just a story, and those who do think anything of it want to try it first and then pay me afterward. If you could have another three wishes, would you have them? I don't know. I don't know. The mournful soldier then took the paw in his hand, holding it between his front finger and thumb, and suddenly threw it upon the fire. Better to let it burn. No! Ah! If, if you don't want it, Bradley, give it to me. I won't. I threw it on the fire. If you keep it, don't hold me responsible for what happens. Throw it back on the fire like a sensible man. How do you do it? <sighs> hold it up in your right hand and state your wish out loud so that you can be heard. But I warn you of what might happen. Sounds like the Arabian Nights. Don't you think you might wish for four pairs of hands for me? <laughs> <laughs> for God's sake, if you must wish, wish for something sensible. I apologize for yelling. It has been a long day. James, I beg of you one last time, please throw that thing away and forget I ever showed it to you. Let us have some pie, shall we? Mr. White placed the monkey's paw back into his pocket, and everyone sat once again around the table. In the business of dessert, the talisman was mostly forgotten. Afterwards, the sergeant major made off for home, disappearing into the same evening rain from which he first emerged. Your friend is a very interesting character, father. Is he the same as you remembered him? 
He is a much sadder man than I ever remembered him be. An after-effect of his monkey's paw, I suppose. Do you still have it? The monkey's paw? Yes, I do. I have it right here. Why, we're going to be rich and famous and happy. Wish to be a king, father, to begin with. Then mother can't complain all the time. Sure I can. Truthfully, I don't know what to wish for. If you paid off the house, you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you? Well, wish for $200, then. That'll just do it. Very well. I wish for $200. Ah! It is just thunder, dear. No, it moved. As I wished, it twisted in my hand like a snake. Well, I don't see the money, and I bet I never shall. It was probably just your imagination. It's been an eventful evening. Why don't we go upstairs and get some rest? I expect you'll find the cash tied up in a big bag in the middle of your bed while something horrible is sitting on top of your wardrobe, watching you as you pocket your ill-gotten money. Good night, Herbert. Good night, Mother. Good night, Father. Herbert, who normally had a playful nature and didn't like to take things too seriously, sat alone in the darkness, looking into the dying fire. He saw faces in it, the last so horrible and so monkey-like that he stared at it in amazement. He felt on the table for a glass containing some water to throw over it, but instead his hand found the monkey's paw, and with a little shake of his body, he wiped his hand on his coat and went up to bed. In the brightness of the next afternoon, the room felt as it always had. There was an air of health and happiness which was not there the previous night. The dirty, dried-up little paw was thrown on the mantle with the carelessness which indicated no great belief in what good it could do. I suppose all old soldiers are the same. The idea of our listening to such nonsense! Herbert will have some more of his funny remarks, I expect, when he comes home. I have no doubt. But for all that, the thing moved in my hand. That I'll swear to. You thought it did. I say it did. There was no thought about it. I had just... What's the matter? There's a man I don't recognize standing by the gate. It looks like he can't make up his mind on whether to approach or not. It sounds like he has made up his mind. We had better let him in. Hello, sir. Can I help you? Yes, I'm sorry to interrupt your afternoon. Are you the lady of the house? Yes. I am Catherine White. Do you think it might be all right if I had a word with you and your husband? Please, come in. Thank you. Hello, Mr. White. Hello? I was asked to call. I come from Ma and Meggings. Is anything the matter? Has anything happened to Herbert? What is it? What is it? Uh, there, there. Sit down and don't jump to a conclusion. You've not brought bad news, I'm sure. I'm sorry. Is he hurt? Badly hurt. But he's not in any pain. He was caught in the machinery. No! 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 He was the only one left to us. 
The firm wishes me to pass on their great sadness about your loss. I ask that you please understand that I'm only their servant and simply doing what they told me to do. I was to say that Ma and Meggins accepts no responsibility, but although they don't believe that they have a legal requirement to make a payment to you for your loss, in view of your son's services, they wish to present you with a certain sum. How much? $200. In the huge new cemetery, some two miles away, the old people buried their dead and came back to the house, which was now full of shadows and silence. It was all over so quickly that at first they could hardly realize it and remained in a state of waiting for something else to happen, something else which was to lighten this load too heavy for old hearts to bear. It was about a week after that James, waking suddenly in the night, stretched out his hand and found himself alone. The room was in darkness, and he could hear the sound of his wife crying quietly at the window. He raised himself in bed and listened. Come back to bed. You will be cold. It's colder for my son. Tell me, have you destroyed it? What? The monkey's paw. No, it is in the living room on the shelf above the fireplace. Why? You've only used the one wish. You have two left. Was that not enough? No. We'll have one more. Go down and get it, quickly, and wish our boy alive again. Good God, you are mad. We had the first wish granted. Why not the second? Go get it and wish. Bring him back. Mr. White went down into the darkness and felt his way to the living room and then to the fireplace. The talisman was there, his forehead cold with sweat. He felt his way round the table and along the walls until he found himself at the bottom of the stairs with the evil thing in his hand. Even his wife's face seemed changed as he entered the room. It was white and expectant and to his fear seemed to have an unnatural look upon it. He was afraid of her. Wish! Wish! I wish my son alive again. The talisman twisted out of his hand and fell to the floor. He looked at it fearfully. James sank into a chair while his Catherine, with burning eyes, walked to the window and opened the curtains. He sat until he could no longer bear the cold, looking up from time to time at the figure of his wife staring through the window. When the candle finally went out, the old man, with an unspeakable sense of relief at the failure of the talisman, went slowly back to his bed, and a minute afterward, his wife came silently 
and lay without movement beside him. That's him! It's Herbert! It's my boy! It's Herbert! I forgot the cemetery was two miles away. What are you holding me for? Let go! I must open the door! For God's sake, don't let him in! You're afraid of your own son! Let me go! I'm coming, Herbert! I'm coming! Catherine, we weren't thinking. He has been dead for ten days. And besides, he... I would not tell you before, but I could only recognize him by his clothing. He fell into the machine. He is twisted, broken, and unnatural. Help me. I'm coming, Herbert. He's my boy. Did you think I fear the child I have nursed? Mrs. White, with a sudden pull, broke free and ran from the room. Her husband followed to the top of the stairs and called after her as she hurried down. Catherine, stop! He heard the chain pulled back and the bottom lock open, then the old woman's voice, desperate and breathing heavily. The top lock! Come down! I can't reach it! But Mr. White was on his hands and knees, feeling around wildly on the floor in search of the paw. If only he could find it before the thing outside got in. Help me. Hold on, Herbert. I'll get a chair so I can reach the second lock. Mr. White heard the movement of the lock as she began to open it. And at the same moment, he found the monkey's paw and frantically breathed his third and last wish. I wish my son had peace. The knocking stopped suddenly, although the echoes of it were still in the house. When the door opened, a cold wind blew up the staircase. <laughs> And a long, loud cry of disappointment and pain from his wife gave him the courage to run down to her side and then to the gate. The streetlight opposite shone on a quiet and deserted road. The Monkey's Paw, presented by Rogue's Gallery Arts. Original story by W.W. Jacobs. Adapted, directed, and audio designed by Duck Washington. Featuring the voice talents of Angela Fox, Carrie Elizabeth Godfrey, Andrew S. Troth, David Elwin, Matthew Kesson, and Chris Rodriguez. And there it is. Be careful what you wish for. Very, very careful. Or spring flowers may not be the only thing rising up out of the dirt. I happen to know that Duck Washington, the adapter and director of this piece, has a history as a professional sound designer, and it shows. What a deft evocation of a remarkable story. You can keep an eye out for Rogue's Gallery Arts' future work at their page on Facebook. Dead North is produced by Sean and Mallory Dillon of Oncoming Productions, with assistance from Kyle Decker and Jacob Gulver of Hot Chocolate Media. Our theme music is by Eric Ostrom, and publicity is by Rob Ward. The rights to individual pieces presented are retained by their creators, all rights reserved. Ordinarily, the artist you just heard sell tickets for the privilege of enjoying their work on stage. 
as they should. Their art has value. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support these artists and help us continue to attract top talent for future episodes, stop by oncomingproductions.com to find out how you can donate to this podcast. Think of it as buying a ticket to this dark little theater for your ears. Our next episode is coming up in June, so keep an ear out. Until then, this is your host, Sean Dillon, signing off. Stay safe out there.